0: First of all, I just want to say, welcome to the podcast. This is the first episode of season two. And today I'm lucky enough to be at Multicultural Communities SA talking to George. George, could you just tell us who you are and what you do?
1: Firstly, Lisa, thank you very much for having me. And it's great for me to hear that I'm opening season two of this really nice, but really good podcast that I love. Now, my name is George Kuzunis and I am the CHSP, Sector Support and Development Officer with Multicultural Communities Council of South Australia, as well as an uh, intercultural um, uh, trainer, intercultural training facilitator. We have a big body for multicultural communities in South Australia. We represent more than 85% of multicultural organisations and we have, we're have running a number of projects that vary from uh, ageing, uh, that we're going to be uh, focusing on today, to youth, to disability, to community connections to uh, successful communities and uh, assisting new and emerging communities establish themselves. So we run a number of projects uh, at the Multicultural Communities Council and, uh, yeah, I'm running one of them, the the Sector Support and Development for the CHSP sector.
0: Why should we think about cultural intelligence?
1: So that's an uh, excellent question. So uh, cultural intelligence... Is, is the ability of a person to understand themselves in order to be able to interact in an environment characterized by cultural diversity. So you have to understand your own culture in order to be able to understand and communicate successfully with other cultures. And as you know, Australia is very, very multicultural and it's becoming more and more so um, As per the latest census, we've had more than 50%, I think if I'm not wrong, I think 51.5% of Australians are either first or second generation migrants to to Australia, as well as Australia having only 0.3% of the world population, yet 2.8% of the world's migrants. So 2.8% of any migrant in the world is at the moment in Australia. That's a huge number.
0: Why do we have a culture
1: okay so um it's actually i'll share something with you that i read recently so someone said uh, that culture is everything that we have that is not inherited but in reality research has shown that even the, the the fetus is developing culture based on what the mother is eating or drinking so that's from the or drinking or listening to even and that's from the third month of their lives so we are born uh, it's something culture is something that we have it's not something that we do and, and and we learn it it's everywhere around us and every action that we ever take is based on culture it's based on what we know and who we are and culture isn't just say our ethnic culture i'm of greek background myself but it isn't just that it's also it also has to do with the rural versus rigid versus urban culture, or even has to do with the work culture. So culture, everything that we do is happening within the framework of culture. And each one of us has a number of roles that are affected by the respective cultures.
0: Are you saying that culture is unconscious?
1: It is, absolutely, yes. It's happening without us thinking about it. Um there are many many uh, uh, many uh, publications and research done on uh, the way we do it and all the subconscious decisions that we're making um that we don't even realize that are affected by you know the what we what we know and the way we do things around here
0: What's the benefit of us looking at ourselves and finding out how we do things around you or how we become embroiled in um, a society mm. that says, we do it like that.
1: Yes, that's right. So cultural intelligence is very similar to emotional intelligence. So the EQ people and your listeners, I think, may would be more uh, familiar with EQ uh, rather than the cultural intelligence. But the principle, the basic principle of EQ, of emotional intelligence, is that The person first needs to understand themselves before they're able to help another person. Not doing so creates um, what we call otherization. So you see the other person as an other person rather than a partner in a relationship. That's the, the first step as well. In order to develop your cultural intelligence, you first need to understand your own culture. In order to develop emotional intelligence, you first need to Understand yourself and develop empathy.
0: Can you give us an example of what we would say our culture is in, say, an urban environment, mm-hmm. and how it would benefit us to really look at that before speaking to others? So something practical.
1: Yes, absolutely. So uh, without going into references in detail, um, you mentioned, for example, the uh, urban versus uh, regional culture, and. There are some elements there that we can we can look into. It has to do with the layers of communication. At this point, allow me to say that culture is communication and communication is culture. And this is not uh, from me, obviously. This is coming from uh, a sociologist, Edward Hall, uh, who said this, and it encapsulates pretty much what culture is. Culture is the way we communicate, and it can be... Verbal or nonverbal communication, it can be communication styles or, or the values that we have as people. Now, in the setting that you mentioned, uh, um, uh, urban setting, a person who is growing into an urban setting, they are developing their own codes of communication, which if you take someone out of there and you move them into a original setting here in Australia, there is a, an adaptation process that needs to happen. And you, um, and you are living originally uh, in, in South Australia, so it is something that I'm sure you feel whenever you visit, uh, even when you visit Adelaide, that things are done a little bit different. And this process is something that people do when they're adapting into a new culture.
0: Well, I hear all the time about cultural intelligence and then sometimes I hear about cultural competence. What's the difference?
1: That's a great question. So, cultural intelligence and cultural competence are both concepts related to understanding and engaging with different cultures, but there are distinct differences between the two. Cultural intelligence refers to an individual's ability to adapt, relate, and work effectively across cultures. It is often described as a set of skills and capabilities that allow the individual to understand differences manage diversity and function effectively in diverse cultural settings, which is pretty much everyone's workplace, is their age. Um, cultural competence, on the other hand, refers to the ability of an organisation to understand and respect and engage with individuals from diverse backgrounds. So it, 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 it uh, involves creating an inclusive um, and responsive environment where employees and customers will feel valued and understood. So, in other words, cultural intelligence focuses on the person, whereas cultural competence focuses on the organization. But these two are highly interconnected uh, concepts. For example, um, an individual with cultural intelligence may struggle to thrive in an organization that lacks competence and vice versa. An organization can have Comprehensive diversity and inclusion policies, but but they won't make any uh, any progress if um, the people working within the organisation are not culturally intelligent themselves.
0: How can you, as an employee, encourage your um, business or your company to be culturally competent so that your cultural intelligence can be active?
1: Mm-hmm. So, developing uh, cultural intelligence requires a, a multifaceted approach. So, organizations can provide training programs and resources that focus on awareness and intelligence. And this is actually a part of what we do here at Multicultural Communities of uh, South Australia. Cultural, uh, cultural Q is the name of our cultural intelligence and competency branch. And I, I know that you have attended one of the trainings recently at Talent Bend.
0: Yes, and I have to say it was absolutely marvellous and I would highly encourage everybody to get on board into the workshop. Very different, very exciting um, and a total fun to That's look at great. yourself.
1: That's great, yeah. Um, so Cultural Q delivers consultancy and training to support organisations in various sectors to develop the skills necessary to provide appropriate services and deliver outcomes. And the focus is both on the clients as well as the workforce. And as a matter of fact, um, we hear that about the workforce more and more and more often, and particularly in the uh, AIDS care sector. I I can speak of that, um, the sector that I work in, but it's something that comes uh, more and more often. At this point, I would like to mention that our training has been uh, developed in collaboration with um, Australian interculturalist Robert Bean and has so far been delivered to more than 40 organizations in in, uh, Austra- in South Australia, including government, health sector, aged care providers, as well as councils, universities, and more.
0: We don't want to give away everything that happens in the yes. workshop, but maybe we could talk a little bit about the part that I've found most fascinating. Yes. Is that cultures with, I can't remember how you said now, cultures with high, high co- and cultures with yes. low context, because I think that's something that was incredibly eye-opening about how we deal with other people in general
1: yes Um, so the concept of high context cultures versus low context cultures now this comes from uh, Edward Hall the social scientist who in the 1960s he categorized the uh, cultures he created a spectrum uh, where he put down cultures based on the high context or low context what that means practically is that high context cultures like, for example, I can use an example, the Chinese culture, uh, Indian cultures, uh, as well as native Native Australian cultures. They have a shared complex body of understood experience and assumed knowledge of how things are done as the basis of cooperation. This means practically that the members of the culture, they have this shared understanding of how things are done within the culture. On the other side of the spectrum, we have cultures with um, or with low context. What that means practically is that they need less shared knowledge for cooperation. And the place of this um, uh, shared uh, knowledge take laws and regulations about how society works or should work. Another, another distinction between high context and low context cultures is that the uh, high context cultures, they make more clear distinctions between insiders and outsiders, whereas in low-context cultures, like the Australian one, we make less distinction between insiders and outsiders. Now, as I said, I was trying to condense, you know, years of research, decades of research into um, a short answer. But this, I think, helps people to understand that behaviours come from a very, very deep um, uh, part within us. And uh, the way we interpret the world, the way we interact with the world and interpret it has to do with a lot of this shared knowledge that we have as members of a particular culture. Yeah.
0: How, how, did, how can that make a difference when we're communicating with an elder Australia from maybe a rural background or is a first generation immigrant how can we make a difference with communication using the thought of high and low context. context?
1: Yes. Now, firstly, we always have to remember that we are dealing with complex individuals. So within the same culture, there may be, there are many different uh, parameters that define what a person uh, believes in and how they act. Now, what we need to have in mind is we need to uh, a, base, a basic, a very basic question is not what other people are doing, but rather why are they doing it? Why uh, are they acting the way they're acting? Because most of the time, the answer to this has to do with the person's culture. Now, there are ways of bridging cultural differences, and firstly, we have to recognize that there are cultural differences, and what we are uh, targeting when dealing either with clients, as you mentioned, or with uh, other members of the the workforce, is that the end goal is not assimilation, but rather integration. So we have to recognise individual differences. We have to be aware of our own behaviours and obviously be respectful. Um, We have to communicate clearly. That's a big um, thing. I would like to spend a little bit of time talking about it and I'll share my personal experience as well. So when I first came to Australia uh, 12 years ago, Uh, And I still had a little bit of trouble with the language. What would often happen if I didn't understand someone straight away, they would repeat exactly the same thing, but this time yelling at me. But yelling, it wasn't really helping me understand. What would have helped me is say exactly the same thing, but a little bit slower so that you allow the, the, the person to understand the point that you are making. It's always a good idea to clarify and ask for clarification, ask the question, ask the whys, and and we just have to remember that in certain high-context cultures, as we spoke about before, where the focus is more on the community, it is always a good idea to involve the whole group in decision-making. This is a concept that um, here in Australia, for example, there is a a huge focus on self-advocacy. So uh, we are... Encouraging people to self-advocate. And it's, it's great. However, I need to mention that in many of the cultures uh, on, on the spectrum of high to low context, particularly the high context ones, the focus is on the community. So a member of that community, and in particular case you mentioned an aging person of a cold background, the expectation that they have is that members of the community, and it can be family, it can be friends, neighbors, will uh, become involved with whatever is the process that we're trying to, to achieve. For example, transitioning into aged care. In this concept, in this, in this uh, society, I'm sorry, the concept of transitioning into aged care, uh, the focus on it falls on, the, on self-advocacy, on the person making their own decisions. However, it's important to remember when we're dealing with people of different cultural backgrounds that where the, the framework that they're operating within may place greater focus on the community involvement. So it's something that we, we should, I think, remember when we're dealing with people of different backgrounds.
0: Yes, and I, I was very interested as well in, in the workshop talking about how people get to know other people because that really resonated with me coming from Wales, where a common question uh, would be, what do you do? But where I'm from, nobody cares what you do. They want to know where you live, who's your parents, what schools did they go to, where, you know. So um, when you're dealing with elder Australians, you've got to be aware that to build a relationship before you get into anything is important, Can you just flesh that out for me?
1: Indeed, that's a great question because, say, for example, I speak about my own culture. In a Greek culture, say two Greek people meet at a barbecue for the first time, one of the first questions that they will ask, possibly the first question, is where are you from, which part of the country, and where are your parents from? Whereas two Australian people meeting at a a barbecue for the first time and say they're from Adelaide, one of the first questions will be, which school did you go to? And then what, what do you do? What do you do for work? So we see this difference between the focus being on the are, who are you, in the first, um, in the first um, example, and on the second example, the focus is on the do. So we see there a difference in how we are looking at, at for example, tasks. In the first example, in high-context cultures, with the focus being on the R, we need to develop a relationship first with the person before we get to the actual tasks. In the second example, in a society like the Australian one, the focus can be more on the outcomes and the KPIs, like, say, for example, we all have KPIs. So it is something that we need to remember when we are dealing with individuals and aging individuals of uh, uh, cultural and linguistically diverse backgrounds that sometimes. Most of the time, it is very important to first establish a relationship of trust before we move on to the more practical uh, questions that we have to ask.
0: So how does a lack of cultural intelligence affect a community?
1: Okay, I will answer this by sharing um, something that happened to me um, recently. So a few weeks ago, I, I took an Uber. And I'm the type of person who always starts conversations with uh, with drivers. And I enjoy that. Hopefully they enjoy it too. And um, so I was talking to this person and he was uh, from Pakistan. And I asked him what he, uh, he asked me what I do for work. And I said, I work in the AIDS care sector. And then he said, he said to me that he is an AIDS care worker. So I asked him, why are you then driving, uh, uh, you know, a taxi? Uber? And he said that the reason why he did it is because, even though he loves his job, and he loves being an aged care worker, that's the only thing he studied. Um, he was getting great reviews from his clients, but he found it very difficult to uh, work uh, in the within the organisations that he was working for. And when I asked him why, he said uh, that the he didn't feel welcome. He felt that uh, his principles, his the way of he was doing things was very different and he wasn't given the opportunity to become a member of the team. So we went through talking about it for, uh, you know, during the, the, uh, the ride, but what it made me understand was that the issue that this person had was the employers that he was working for were not culturally intelligent and able to make this person feel welcome. So we're talking about uh, an aged care worker at a time when we really are in need, the sector is in need of uh, more aged care workers. And we have someone there who is qualified, who has had great reviews, but yet he doesn't feel welcome, so he's unable to work in this environment. So the key to, you know, fix this, for lack of a better word, is to create culturally competent organisations that will make people like, like, uh, like him welcome and you know, able to offer the services where they need it the most.
0: Mm. And who is it who is able to point that out? Because obviously the, the, the Uber driver didn't feel that he could point this out to his employer and sort of instigate a cultural change. How does that happen?
1: I have to say that the onus is with the host culture. So when someone comes to where you are, let's talk about, exactly, let's talk about the work environment. So when in a workplace we have a new colleague, the onus is with the existing people to, you know, introduce this person to the office culture. The person is not expected to know the way you do things at the office. It is a similar, it is a similar concept with, um, uh, uh, with an organisation that does this. So, for example, when a new person starts, it is with the organization the responsibility to uh, introduce people, to to get people to become more culturally intelligent and to get the organization to become more culturally competent. So, every person goes through, we have to remember this when we're dealing with uh, clients or co-workers, every person goes through a different journey of adapting into a new culture. And you don't have to think this just in a, in an ethnic culture uh, context but also in a work culture like for example when one starts at a new job they there is a period where they are adjusting and during that period they will be making you know some mistakes even that have to do with um, this process so this, the adapting into a new culture is a process now when you first Move into a new culture, and um, it can be as a migrant, or it can be even be as a tourist. At first, everything appears to be very nice, and you're enjoying everything. Um, and then, after a while, there will be a period where you are realizing that things are different to how you used to to do them. So, we have to be assisting our coworkers and our clients as well to go through this process together. Um, this is a very, I mean, uh, it's as part of the workshop. This goes for about uh, an hour, an hour and a half, discussing about this process because, in my opinion, it is the most important thing for someone to understand that adapting is a journey. It is not happening from one day to the other, and for a person to be able to uh, become bicultural and feel confident in both the first and the second culture, it's a very long process that um, uh, you know takes a bit of time and it's always good to help people when they're on this journey on this journey
0: what about those people who don't feel like they want to adapt
1: it's a, it's a great question so i think and what have what we have seen is that it no one there's no one out there who doesn't want to adapt um people for everyone this is something that would make their lives better if they are able to comfortably um, operate within this new environment, with this, this new, within this new culture. But what happens is that personal experiences and things that have happened to people, um, personal limitations as well, uh, that have to do with their uh, roles or the, their cultures, they, they may hinder this process. So I think, in my opinion, we just have to be a little bit more understanding, particularly when we feel that you know, this person doesn't want to, to adapt, as you said.
0: I was getting in my car the day before yesterday and there was a bloke walking past who said, um, excuse me, I don't want to be funny, but can I ask if you're European? I said, well, I'm from the UK. He said, I knew it because Australians don't dress like that. Okay. And I was just like, dressed like what? And he was like, well, look at you, you dress dressed like a European. Like, what do Australians dress like? You know, that ingrained kind of, Yeah. he thought he was being very complimentary, yeah. and I'm sure he was because the Europeans dress beautifully. But actually that's quite a prejudiced thing to say, yeah. isn't it? To saying. a stranger getting in their car.
1: Yeah. How did you feel about it?
0: Um, I just laughed. When I went to work, I said, do I dress like a European? Yeah. I thought I dressed like everybody else. So, yeah, you question yourself. Mm. I think he was being complimentary.
1: Mm. I see what you're saying.
0: But just because he's being complimentary doesn't mean that he wasn't being prejudiced.
1: Yeah.
0: It's just so ingrained that you can tell people that, like my example is prejudice, but I would say 90% of people will say it's not. Yeah. And how can we get in touch with you to organize a workshop?
1: You can visit our website at www.mccsa.org.au or you can give us a call at 8345-5266 and our team from Coach for EQ will be very happy to assist.
0: Well, thank you very much, George, for joining me today and for christening my new podcast equipment. And I'm sure all of you will appreciate the new sound quality.
1: Thank you very much, Lisa, for having me, and uh, I hope you have a great day.
0: Nice. Yeah. I just think that was quite funny. Two group people making it a barbecue and two Australians making at a bar. <laughs> 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 That's yes. such a great out.